This is, uh, I think, I might be wrong, but I think this is the very first Sunday I have actually been here at the end of the year. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm off where I was in Washington, and so this is, a, this is the, I think, the first time I've preached at the end of the year. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about what, what do you do at the end of the year and kind of the beginning of a new year. Um, and and I, I was led to, to Psalm uh, 71. It's been something that has been, uh, God has used in my heart. And so if you want to open to Psalm 71, I would invite you to do that. This is a reflection on that psalm. Uh, I know for some, um, 2015, as you look back, usually the last Sunday of the year is a, is a time, or even just the end of the year in general, is a time in which we tend to reflect on the past. And I know for some, 2015 was a, was a difficult year. Some might even say that 2015 was the most difficult year. Um, for others, maybe not so much. Maybe it was a, 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 an easier year, a successful year, a, a joyful year, a, a happy year. Um, whatever the case, um, we can trust and give thanks to the Lord here at the end of 2015 because even when things are hard, it does not mean that things are bad. Um, that oftentimes God's goodness is displayed in ways um, that we experience more of him in times of difficulty than in times of, of, of sunshine and happiness. And so for that reason, even just looking back, we can just give thanks that, God, you were good even in the difficult times. Um, but also, on this Sunday, it's, it's time to prepare ourselves to move into a new year. Um, have we learned things from 2015 that we're going to bring into 2016? And how are we going to march into a new year where there are unknowns? There are unknown problems, unknown difficulties, unknown gifts, unknown answers. Um, all of that awaits us uh, across the border of 2015, 2016. And to help us with that, I, I wanted to reflect for a few moments on, on Psalm 71. Um, as I said, it's, it's been uh, a helpful in my own personal journey of thinking through um, the past and looking forward to the future. And I hope that it will help you too as, as we uh, get ready to walk across this, this annual line between 2015 and 2016 this week. The psalmist is interesting because um, in it, repeatedly, the psalmist keeps saying, I will continually praise you. Um, it, it says it over and over again, but here are three samples of w one of the things that caught my attention. Uh, is my praise is continually of you. Never, never stops praising God on his journey. Uh, verse 8, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Uh, that's continuous. Uh, verse 14, but I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. So um, one of the things that strikes me about the psalm is, or the psalmist is that he is uh, in his life and in his life's journey, he's continuing to praise God more and more. The glory of God is in his, on his lips and in his mind all day long. So it is a psalm of, of praise. Um, it is a, an expression of a life of praise. And I think marching into 2016, um, one of our, our, our goals should be, if we're believers and if we have the Holy Spirit in us and if we believe the Scripture, is that we march into 2016 um, intent and determined to praise God in everything, right? Intent on praising and honoring the Lord in everything that we do. That ought to be our, our focused resolve. But how do you do that? How do you continually praise the Lord on the journey with the bumps and the bruises um, and the lefts and the rights and the unexpected? How, how do you live in continual praise? That's, that's the question. 
And in my reflection on the psalm, there's an answer to that. Um, I want to provide, if you will, three reflections on how is it that a person can live, regardless of what we're going through, a life of enduring praise unto the Lord. One of the things, and I'm going to, those three parts of the reflection have to do with a practice, a perspective, and a prospective, or a prospective hope. Those three things. Um, In terms of practice, I find that the psalmist uh, is um, insightful in how he uh, joins together declaration and petition. Declaration is a verbal uh, affirmation of truth about who God is as he has revealed himself in history, in, in scripture, or in Christ Jesus. That is a, a declaration, and he weaves those declarations of who God is right alongside prayers where he's asking God to do something. You see it all over the place. It's going from declaration of, God, this is who you are, to be this for me. So verse 3, the petition, be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. That's a petition. Then he declares, you have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. So side by side, he's asking God to be a rock, and at the same time, he's declaring that God is his rock and fortress. Verse 4 continues this, this joining together of petition and declaration, saying, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. That's the prayer. Then he declares, verse 5, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Verse 18 and 19 continues that, just joining together of those two things. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, here's the, the prayer, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to, those, to all those who come. Then he declares once again, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you. As I said, this is his practice, to declare and to petition side by side, and it's all centered on the person of God. Um, that's obvious all the way through the Psalms, it's obvious all the way through the Scriptures, that God is not someone who simply gives us refuge, he is our refuge. He doesn't simply give us a rock upon which to, to, to base our lives, but he is the rock upon which we base our lives. So all of these petitions and declarations find their center in him. And that's the scripture. Our great refuge is not something God provides, it's something he is for us. But then he's declaring and petitioning, declaring and petitioning and the importance of that, of, of declaring, is when we declare truth, verbal truth, to ourselves, to each other, or in the context of worship, we are, in a sense, magnifying God before our very eyes. When we, when we declare truth about who God is, we're, in a, in a way, sweeping aside the lies and the fog, and we're able to see through verbal declaration who God is and to be reminded of who he is for us. So when we say, God, you are our rock, you are our, our fortress, that you are the one who heals all of our diseases, you're the one who forgives all of our iniquities, you're the one who redeems our life from the pit, you are the one who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, you are the one who provided atonement through our Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one whose love will never be taken away from us because those who are in Christ Jesus have, have your love forever and ever and ever. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we are verbally declaring who God is to ourselves and to each other, 
in effect, we are magnify him, magnifying him before our very eyes. And that's, that's what we need. We need to do that. We have to do that. It's vital to the life of the individual Christian. It's vital to the life of the church to continue that declaration in prayer, in preaching, and in music to declare who God is. Otherwise, there's nothing to worship. There's nothing to trust. There's nothing to hope in. We, we magnify him when we declare. At the same time, there's this petition that is asking God, because we're in a relationship, to actually respond to us and believing that he will respond to us and he'll hear our prayers and he will act as our rock. He will act as our fortress. He will act as our healer and our deliverer. But at the same time, we pray because, or we petition because we're weak, because we need help to believe in who God says he is for us. Weak and desperate. It's like, I know you're my rock, but I need to believe that you're my rock. And in effect, prayer helps us say, Lord, I'm struggling to believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe that you're my refuge. Help me to believe that you're my fortress. Help me to believe that my sins have been covered over entirely by the cross. Help me to believe that there's life beyond death. Help me to believe that there's purpose right here, right now, in what I'm going through. That's, that's the petition and the declaration coming side by side. And that is, that is a practice for us to move into the new year, is to, to, to do that individually, to do it privately, to do it publicly in, in worship, and, and to, to speak formally and informally about, about the grandeur and the greatness of who God is because it, it gives our heart sight as to who God is for us and, and feeds our faith and feeds our, our hope. Those, those two things. And, you know, I was thinking about, okay, does, people like you m- might be thinking, well, does, does that really work? Like, just declaration, petition. It's like, it, it absolutely does. Um, for one, it's, it's in the scripture. But um, I was thinking about it on a, on a smaller scale of, of how, how it works in marriage. Uh, over the years, I've had the, I don't know if I'd call it the privilege, but... Um, I've had the responsibility, I'll call it a privilege, of serving the Lord and helping um, couples who will come to me um, who are just downright upset with each other. Twisted, angry, ticked off. That does happen in marriage, right? It does, because anytime you covenant two sinners together, there's going to be sparks, right? And Christians have that too. And so in the office, and there's this twisted upness where they're angry at each other and they're adversarial. And, and one of the things that I have done over the years, it hasn't always worked, it's not like a magical formula, but is to stop and say, listen, you fell in love for some reason. I want you, husband, wife, I want you to tell her, declare to her what you love about her. Declare the truth of who she is that you, that you love so much, with no buts at the end, right? Well, you're an amazing mom. Um, you're always serving me behind the scenes. Uh, you're there when I need you. And, and in that context, I have seen firsthand ice melt. And pretty soon, this adversarial um, situation melts into a place where there's oftentimes petition of, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? 
and to watch healing take place because there's a declaration of truth, a positive truth that begins to melt the heart and, and, and give a person a new motivation for love. And if, if that's true on a human scale, then when we declare that God, you have established your, your throne in the heavens and your kingdom rules over all things, that helps people like you and I who just read the newspaper who feel a bit panicked and fearful about the world we live in, but that declaration reminds us that God is on the throne. See how that works? So as we move forward, that's, that's the practice. That's, that's it's worship. That's what it is, is we declare the truth about God and we petition, we pray and ask um, him to act in ways that are consistent with who he is and to help us to believe it. But there's a, a second thing that helps us praise on the journey. And here's the perspective that I find in the psalm. And that is trust, and this is a faith perspective or a trust perspective, that God's grace dominates every moment and circumstance of life. I, should, I could have wrote permeates. Uh, trust that God's grace permeates every moment and circumstance of life. One of the things that drew me to this psalm was that he talks about the beginning of his life, that God was there, and he prays that God would be there at the closing of his life, from first breath, basically, to last breath. Verse 6, upon you I have leaned from before my birth, and he's acknowledging that God was at work in his heart before he was even born. Uh, you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You were there at the beginning, you were showing me grace at my birth. Verse 9, just three, three verses later, he switches to the end of his life. And here it's a petition. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Your, your grace was there at the beginning when I was born in weakness. And I'm praying, Lord, your, your grace will be there at the end of my life when once again I'm, 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 I'm dying in weakness. Implying that he, he, he knows that God will be there all the way through from birth to death. God's grace will help him all the way along, from beginning to end, as, 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 as with us. From, I mean, you were born because God was gracious. God took you from the womb. Now, I may have done it through a doctor, but nevertheless, that was God's gracious means of giving you life. And here, at the end of life, he will still be there in your moment of absolute weakness. Maybe when you can't even speak, he will be there, grace from beginning to end. And all the way through, God accompanies his people. Does that mean that life is easy? Obviously, no. Especially after some of our, our testimonies. But he acknowledges that too. Listen to this. This is a, a verse that could, you know, bother some people. When it says, he's talking to the Lord here, he's saying you, that's talking to Yahweh, who have made me see many troubles and calamities. One of the troublesome and yet at the same time wonderful truths of the Bible is that the one who ultimately brings problems or troubles into a person's life is the Lord. As I said, that bothers some people, but one of the unique aspects of that belief is to know that there's purpose in everything. Um, the secular world in which we live believes that if something bad happens to you or you go through a difficult time or an adversity, then it's, it's, a, it's bad luck, um, a back, bad dealing of the cards. Uh, you got the, the, the short end of the stick. 
He says, no, you, Lord, have made me see, experience these troubles and these calamities. Um, in other words, you have, you're, 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 you're sovereign over my life, and so nothing can happen to me apart from your will. So if it's in my life, then that means somehow your hand has brought it. You see how that works? So it's acknowledging God's grace from beginning to end, but at the same time, that grace works through all of these problems and troubles. Now, how is that? Or you might ask the question, why, why, why do that? Like, why would the Lord who loves me uh, allow such things into my life? And, and here, the answer is actually, I think, in, back in verse 15 and 16, and, and, and really there's other places in the psalm as well. But, but given all of that, from birth to death, and the troubles and calamities that he acknowledges God made him see, he still says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, uh, yours alone. Honestly, I, I, I really understand or interpret the righteous acts that he can't even keep number of, verse 15, the mighty deeds of verse 16 are God's work in the life of the believer. And God is constantly doing works and deeds, um, not just in the big grand sense, like God, you know, uh, called his people out of Egypt, or God saved us through the cross of Jesus, all of which are big salvation events. But life is about a whole series of saving events, too. Like a lot of small deliverances and, and acts where he shows himself faithful to people, like you and like me. And, and some of those stories have been told over Advent of difficulties, troubles, and or calamities of people with blindness, infertility, uh, struggles with adoption, of, of cancer, of suicide. But to know in all of this that God is working out his righteous acts for his people. He is... He's providing deliverance either from or through the troubles and calamities of life. And if one can maintain that perspective, then one can praise the Lord. Because you know God's grace is working all the way through these things. Now, let me just add on to that. Or just expand a bit. When we tend to think of God's saving work or God's delivering work... Um, we tend to think past tense, like God delivered me um, through the cross of Jesus when I came to faith, and therefore I have been saved, past tense. 100% true. For by grace you have been saved through faith. But salvation is a, a deliverance, if you will, is a broader topic than just past tense. That salvation began in the past, it continues in the present, and reaches into the future to the resurrection. The whole of life is God's saving work. The correlation or implication is, is this. Listen to this. There's nothing that happens to a believer in his or her life that is not God's saving activity. That means whatever the calamity or trouble is for the believer, God is doing a saving activity in that thing. That, that thing. He's humbling us. He's breaking us, molding us, shaping us. Uh, transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. And he's using all of those things on the path and journey of life to do his salvation work. So all of life, every detail for the believer, 
for the person who trusts in Christ, that God has said, you are my son, everything has to do with salvation. Everything. There's nothing to be excluded. That's pretty remarkable, actually, to know, God, you are, you are, you are, you are at work in my salvation right here, right now, as we move forward into the, to the future. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to remain passive and just say, okay, well, God brought this into my life, therefore I shouldn't pray and ask God to deliver me from it. Well, that defeats the whole point of the psalm because, again, declaration and petition. He's praying that God would deliver him from his enemies and from the wicked and from those who want to shame him. So there is that dynamic between, between accepting that this is God's hand for my life at the same time this, this prayer that's earnestly calling for God to help me. So, so those, are, those, are, those are two ways that we can walk into um, 2016 praising the Lord. Declaring and petitioning, but also trusting and maintaining that perspective that all of life, if you will, every detail is about God's saving activity in my life. His grace never leaves me from birth to death and beyond. And the third, I said the first one was a practice, the second was uh, perspective. The third one sounds like perspective, but it's prospective or a forward-looking faith or hope. At the end of the day, we can rejoice in the present in the fact that God's journey with us ends in life, not death. Say that one more time. Rejoice in the fact that God's journey with us ends in life, not death. A Christian life, as I said, is a, is a journey of salvation. Begins, continues, grows, and one day will be completed. I love how the psalm ends, because this is how, how, how it ends. Right after he says, you, I'm going to turn this way, because I've put, turned my back to them too much. Um, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities, and here it is, will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. And then it switches to worship. <clears throat> I will also praise you with the heart for your faithfulness, O oh my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help. Help on the journey all the way through, birth to death, all the day long. Do you see how many you will statements, future tense there are right there? You will revive me after all of this. From the depths of the earth, that's from the grave, from the dirt, ashes to ashes. You will bring me up. That's resurrection language. Not just resurrect me, but increase my greatness and comfort me. That's glory, people. That's, that's the end. That's the end of the journey. That is to say that um, for us who believe, for those who, who trust in Christ, um, we have a happy ending. The story of the Bible is not a tragedy. It's not a Shakespearean tragedy. It doesn't end in doom and gloom. It, it does for some. But it's better than a comedy because it ends on such a glorious unbelievable, wondrous high note of God reviving and resurrecting and restoring a thousandfold anything that we have lost or experienced in terms of negative things in this life. That is, there is a happily ever after. And, and we have to remember that. There is a happily ever after to this life. And, and to keep our eyes on it, it's promised to us. It's been gained for us by the Lord Jesus Christ when he died and rose again. And that's the happily ever after that enables us to give joy on the journey, knowing there's a light at the end of the tunnel. 
Do you believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Um, our, our, when you look at these three things that we just talked about, the, 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 the practice and the perspective and the prospective hope, the light at the end of the tunnel, in 2015, was, was that your practice? Um, to say, just I'm going to declare and petition to God so that I might rejoice in him and be reminded each day who he is for me. Um, maintaining the perspective that God's grace has never left me, it won't leave me again, and believing that there's this light at the end of the tunnel, there's this happily ever after that I'm living for. How did you do in 2015 with those things? Well, I'm just going to encourage all of us. Like I said, this comes out of my own personal meditation and song because I need this. I want to march into 2016 declaring and praying to God and finding my praise in him. I want to move forward into 2016 knowing that God's grace is there from beginning to end, will never leave me, and God is at work in my salvation in every detail of my life, even the negative ones, knowing, again, there is this happily ever after coming. And you know what? We're getting closer and closer to that happily ever uh, ending, right? I'm, the, the, the more I read and the longer I live, the more I look forward to that day in which the sun dawns. And, uh, and that happily ever after happens. But until then, until then, we journey, and we journey together. And I just want to encourage you, make this your practice, make this your perspective, and keep that light at the end of the tunnel bright uh, in your eyes. Amen? Amen? Gracious Father, I pray that you would um, allow us by grace to enter this new year uh, committed and resolved to make you first. Um, that you would be our rock and be our refuge, that you would be our joy and be our hope. Not just provide it, but be that for us. Lord, help us as a church, as we journey forward, as a group, as a collective family. Uh, help us to keep our eye on the prize. Help us to know that there's this happily ever after that's coming and enable us to live for it and enable us to praise you all the way continually on the journey in Christ's name. Amen.